How many of you are nap takers? You love a good nap. Now see, some, there's, there's a spectrum going on here. I knew there would be, okay? I didn't know there would be anybody who loved naps as much as me or more than me, because I love a good nap. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do. I don't know if napping can qualify as a hobby, but if it can, it's my hobby. Um, I found a few memes this week that actually spoke to my heart. Here's the first one. It says, uh, I like to play this game called Nap Roulette. I simply take a nap and don't set an alarm. Will it be a 30-minute nap or four hours? Or will I just wake up tomorrow? It's risky and I like it. Um, that's kind of how I roll. And then another one that I thought was pretty good was me, if napping was an Olympic sport. Just golds all around. Like, I would be very, very good at that. Um, now, I don't know what it is, but I'm a kind of person, I can fall asleep way easier during the day than I can at night. Um, now you might, some of you are probably like, well, if you didn't sleep so much during the day, you'd probably sleep better at night. But even when I don't take naps, because it's not a constant thing, but even when I don't, like, you put me on a couch with nothing to do for a little bit of time, I mean, I'm gone. Um, I'm open mouth snoring the whole bit. Um, and then, but at nighttime, I just sit there, my brain's like, well, let's think of every dumb thing you've ever said forever, and that, it just runs away with my thoughts, right? And so some of you, like I said, are nap takers, some of you are not nap takers, you say, oh, I can't take naps, which is quitter talk, if you ask me. Um, some of you are kind of anti-nap. You, you, some of you were born with this supernatural level of energy, and you look down on us mere mortals who need like a midday recharge. But some of you, you're just going all the time, and I mean, good for you. I do wish I had that, but I just don't. Um, and so love it or hate it, though, there is this thing that we need as human beings, because we're not infinite, we're not superheroes, we're mere mortals, we need rest. And not just rest for our bodies, we need rest for our souls. And it, it is a vital part of who we are and how we can actually be formed into being like Jesus. I remember uh, I took a class uh, in college uh, called, the, I think it was the, the Minister's Inner Life or something like that, um, and we had a little retreat that we went on, and we went out to a little Galilee Christian camp up in Clinton, and my preaching professor, who was like the, my main professor that I had for everything, really respected the guy, and we get there, and he's like, now this is supposed to be a time when you guys learn what you need to do to recharge your batteries. Some of you, you need to go for a walk. Some of you need to maybe sit down and read for a while. Some of you need to play a game. Some of you just need to take a nap. And I, I was like, oh, this came from a person I really respected. So I was like, I'm writing that one down and taking that with me everywhere I go. But I learned the value of rest in various forms, not just in taking a nap, but just there's, there's deeper rest that we need. Again, not just for body, but for the deepest parts of who we are. Now, last week we started this brand new series called Formed, where we are looking at spiritual practices. These are activities that we can enter into that help us to be formed. And one of the things that we learned last week was that whether we like it or not, every day we are being formed. Your, your life is an activity in being formed. You are being shaped into someone in your life. Every commercial that you see, every YouTube ad, every show you watch, every time you are put in a situation that tests your patience, that forms you. How you react to that situation forms you. Every relationship you're in, every friendship you have, every encounter you have with people throughout the day, what you do at work, all of those things are forming you and shaping you into someone, a certain type of person. Now, what very few people ever stop to ask is, 
who am I being formed into? Like, we're all being formed. In fact, we're, everything leaves its fingerprints on us as we go through the day, and we're so used to it that we don't even ask, am I, or who am I becoming over time? Who am I being formed into? And do I even like the person that I'm becoming? Like, do I even like this trajectory that I've set for myself? Um, now, there is a bigger question that for those of us who are, consider ourselves to be Christians that we actually should ask that we, again, oftentimes don't, is am I becoming who God wants me to be? Because for every single one of us, we believe that God put us here intentionally and that he has a plan and a purpose for who we are and how we will spend our days. He's our creator, and because he's our creator, he knows what's best for us and how our lives will really click and move along better if we align ourselves with the way he wants us to live. Um, it's like, you know, you get the manual for your car. I mean, how many people ever read through that phone book that they stick in your dashboard or in your glove compartment, right? No, but they, they, they're the ones that say, here's the maintenance we recommend. Here's the, the stuff you should do for your car to keep it optimal as we, the makers, have determined it. Um, now, that's kind of the way God has made us, and he, he knows what makes our lives work best, things that will make us to thrive. And when we align ourselves with the way he wants us to live, when we are properly formed, we thrive, but we also start living lives where we bless other people and help them to thrive as well. Now, what has happened is because of the corrupting, corrosive effect of sin, we're not who God wants us to be. We're not living up to that image that he made us to walk in. We've been deformed and malformed by the evil that lives inside of us and the cultural pressures of evil that live all around us, all of that stuff. And so we can't think the way he wants us to think. We can't react to life the way he wants us to react to it. And sin has deformed us, and we are not fully the humans that God wants us to be. And so we need to be formed, reformed, so that we can live the lives that God wants us to be, be the kind of humans that he wants us to be. So that then brings us to the question, how do we become properly formed? That's kind of the question. What do we got to do in our life to help us be properly formed? And that brings us to the topic of this series, which is these spiritual practices. You might also hear the, the term spiritual disciplines. That's another name for it. Um, these aren't the only things that form us. This is just one way that we can kind of get our lives to a place where we're kind of pushing everything else out. And we're letting God do work on us. We're letting God be the one to shape and form and have the influence over us. Now, I really worked hard to define what a spiritual practice is. And I wanted it to be short and catchy, and then I realized that there's no way. There's just no way to make a nice, short, catchy definition for what a spiritual practice is. I even had a couple other ministers, I was like texting, I'm like, what else can I cut out of this? And they're like, nothing. And I'm like, I know, right? So if I'm going to give you a long definition. It's a lot, but we're going to then break it down, okay? So spiritual practices are repeated exercises that allow us to surrender our hearts and minds to be formed by the truth of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you're like, that, those are words. That's a lot of words, Anthony. Very good. Um, but what does all of that mean? Okay, let's go through. We'll just break it down in little sections here at a time. Repeated exercises. Formation requires repetition. Everything that we do in life, if we want to excel at it and get better at it, we have to continually, repeatedly, regularly practice it. 
You can, I mean, eating healthy one day a year, not going to cut it. Exercising a few times, not going to cut it. This is where um, New Year's resolutions fall hard, right? If you're still doing a New Year's resolution, you have beat 99.9% of the population. Uh, everybody else has already quit. Those, um, I learned that gyms will actually rent equipment for the first two weeks of January to, to accommodate all the extra people that are going to come in here. But they don't, they don't keep the lease longer than two weeks because they know nobody's going to stay. Because they've learned. Like that, but, but for us to actually grow and change, we need something that is regular and repeated. That's just the way formation works. You want to even learn a new language, you're going to have to do something regularly. Want to learn how to play the piano or any other instrument, it takes regular practice, okay? The same is true of spiritual practices. These must be things that are regularly brought and, and kept into our lives. So regular, repeated exercises that allow us to surrender our hearts, and minds. Now, this is also where we make the choice that I want to be formed. I'm going to do this. I, this is the, the intentional step where I want to enter into this place where I'm going to be shaped and formed by God. Um, I like the way John Mark Comer uh, says it. He, he calls it um, the spiritual practices. He says they, um, they bring us into an apprenticeship with Jesus, right? Some of you maybe had a job that required an apprenticeship or an internship where you shadowed somebody and you tried to learn what they did. You tried to copy them. They tried to pass their skills on to you. That's a little bit what these spiritual practices are. We are entering into an apprenticeship, learning how to follow and walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And so, um, but it takes, again, this, this choice. It's a choice to surrender everything we are. Because most of the time, we think we know best. I look at my life, I think I know best. Do you think you know best? I mean, just, and if you think, no, nah, I'm not like that. How easy is it for you to look at somebody else who's doing something dumb and go, oh, the, oh, I can't believe they did that, right? Even when you do that, you're like, well, if I were them, I would have done the right thing. If I were in their shoes, living their life with all their circumstances, I would have done the right thing. That's just kind of how we assume we, we think we're the right people or thinking the right way all the time. But to be entering into a spiritual practice is to say, okay, I'm surrendering what I have. I'm surrendering it to Jesus. I'm not always right. I don't always think the right way. I don't always do the right things. And so I'm going to surrender myself to be shaped so that Jesus can help me to be the kind of person I need to be. Thoughts and all. And then we want to be formed by the truth of God. Spiritual practices help us confront the lies that we live with. And boy, oh boy, do we live with a lot of lies. Every day we are fed lies from our culture. Every day we speak lies to ourselves, And these lies influence how we actually live. And so what we want to do when we come with a spiritual practice is we want to attack those lies, root them out, let them be seen for what they are, not true, and we want to replace them with the truth of God and start living not by lies but by the truth. Um, so often... Um, we live as people, you won't say this ever, by the way, but we, will, we subconsciously live as people who think we deserve everything we want. I, life, I deserve for life to go my way. And then when that lie is really shown to be something that has influence over us is when things don't go right and we end up living like ungrateful, demanding, spoiled brats. 
We, we're adults who throw temper tantrums. And we get mad because we ordered food and it didn't come out right. And they put sour cream on this and I don't like sour cream. And the sour cream touched all the other things so I can't just scrape it off. And now i got to go yell at somebody behind the counter who's, who made this and tell them how I think that they've ruined my day because life deserves me what I want. I, life owes me everything, the what I want, the way I want it. And so we spend our lives living by these lies. Because when we like really start talking about some of these lies out verbally, it becomes very obvious how dumb they are. But, we, but, they're, but when they're inside and we're just going through life, we don't really understand how silly and ridiculous some of these things are that we believe. And so spiritual disciplines, when they are done well, confront the lies that you live by and also help to shape you and reform you with the truth uh, of God. And then finally, by the power of the Holy Spirit. One thing we cannot forget as we enter into a spiritual discipline is that we are putting ourselves in a place where the strength of the Spirit can work in us, where the Spirit has the, most, uh, the greatest ability to work on our hearts. Um, there are other areas of life where you can kind of white-knuckle your way and, and through grit and determination help yourself get a little better. Like if you're a person who's ever, you know, worked out, uh, you know, you can get a few more reps in and maybe you got somebody over you going, one more! And you're like, I can't, one more! You know, but, but maybe you crank out that one more. Those little bits of determination where you just push through the pain, like that can make you better, okay? But when it comes to being spiritually formed, we don't have that ability. We just don't. I mean, you look at this, the trajectory of humanity, like it's, it's moments of just utter chaos and embarrassment, moments where we're like, ooh, that was really bad, maybe we should try to get out of that, and we try to get out of it, but we never reach like this utopia vision that some people try to think, well, in the future everything's going to be great, everyone's going to be nice to each other and want flying cars, we never get there um, because we sink down into another batch of just human mess. That We're just not going to get there. We need the Spirit to work on us. And so part of what these practices do, they put us in a place where we're kind of pushing everything else out, and we're saying, okay, Spirit, here, work on me. Do the work in me that I need you to do. Um, it's, uh, this isn't a great example or illustration, but um, you can kind of think like the, the Holy Spirit's a doctor, and we're terrible patients, all right? Um, like if you go to your doctor, your doctor's going to tell you all the same things, like eat right, exercise, you know, here's a few other things you should do. And then we go home and we're like, no thanks, that's not a fun way to live, so I'm going to do my thing. Okay, you can have the greatest, smartest, most skilled doctor in the world, but if you're not going to put yourself in a place to listen and to be affected by what they are telling you, you're never going to be the healthy person that you hope to be, right? That's kind of the same way. We need to put ourselves in a place where the Spirit can most effectively work on us. And so when we come into these spiritual practices, Rather than fighting against the Spirit, which we do a lot of our life, we're putting ourselves in a place where we're submitting to the power of the Spirit, letting the Spirit do what we cannot do on our own, because we cannot get our acts together. We cannot become who God wants us to be on our own. Okay? Trying on your own is called self-help, and self-help is no help, not in this arena. So we need the power of the Spirit. Now, as we go through, we're going to look at a different practice every week. Um, today, we're going to mention, I let the cat out of the bag earlier, but we're going to be looking today at the idea of a Sabbath. A Sabbath is a day of rest. That is what historically the Sabbath was. Um, for the Israelite culture who kind of got this idea started with them, um, they would start at sundown on Friday night. 
Because they looked at days starting not in the morning, but at sundown. We think days start at sunup. They did it backwards. So sundown, Friday night to sundown, Saturday night. That was their Sabbath. Which, by the way, is a great way to do it. Because you've got your whole day to get things organized and set up and you're done. And you can have this evening where you're like, okay. All right, things are, things are put away. I've got the work done. Now I can have this 24-hour period where I rest. And this is a rhythm that was built into creation by God. But the thing that I think is so interesting is that I think right now we live in a culture where we are starving for rest. We are aching for rest. And when we do get days off or vacation time, it's not very restful. And so it doesn't really help. And so we go back after this rest and we're thinking, I guess I'll start dreaming about the next vacation or I'll start living for next Friday when I can get We just live for the next break. We never really feel rested. And that's a problem. Um, You know, Sunday used to be this kind of built-in day off in our culture um, years ago. Um, but it hasn't been that way for most of my life. I think when I was born, uh, I remember like my parents gr- like starting to talk about how remarkable it was that things were open on the weekends. I can't believe this is open on a Sunday. Can you ever heard anything being open on a Sunday? I never heard it. Like that was kind of one in my childhood. That was a good long time ago. We are firmly in the place where there are no untouchable days, and so now every business is open. Sports are every single day of the week. They're too early, they go too late, and we're doing all the things, and we're always busy, and we're always going, and so there's nothing on um, our calendar that naturally gives us a day off, and because culturally, we didn't have to fight for a Sabbath, it was just built in, we didn't have to work for it, so when that went away, we weren't used to fighting for anything, and so we just kind of let it go away, because we didn't fight to have that in in our cycle of life, and so now what that means is, we um, are just going 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're always at work. You never get a day off. I mean, because now we've 2020, we thought it would make it better because it made us all stay home. And I remember us all talking, you know, this is, this is a good opportunity. We've had everything taken out of our lives. Now we're going to choose what we bring back in, and we'll have a better rhythm of life. That didn't happen, because what happened was everything got moved to a screen, and now you can work from home, which is like, you're always at work. Your house is your work. You're always there. There is no car drive home to decompress. You just are at home. You're always at work. And now we have bosses that think we got to answer emails all day long, and you got to always be ready to take a call. I read a story the other day of a... uh, a guy who was on vacation and his boss emailed him with some questions and he emailed back, I'm on vacation, but I'll be glad to answer those when I get back. And the boss turned him into HR to be punished because he didn't take that time off his vacation. How dare he? He should always, like that's just the culture we live in. We can get mad at it or we can try to, you know, set up our own boundaries and try to do um, something that's a little bit better. But again, this isn't just meant to be bodily rest. Bodily rest is what we get when we take a day off. We get off Friday or we have a vacation. You get bodily rest, but the reason we don't feel rested is because rest is meant to be something that seeps its way into our soul. It's a peace that comes all the way and saturates the elements of who we are. And so we were meant to have a day where we push out all the influences of life, all the hurry, all the things our culture's telling us to be, all the things it's telling us to do all the lies that we're getting fed by all these various avenues, we push all that out and we sit with a day of letting God's truth be the thing that shapes and forms and guides us.
Now, the first mention of Sabbath is very early on in Scripture. It comes in Genesis chapter 2. We have the creation story in Genesis 1 where God is making the universe. And and the story, the way the, the creation story plays out is it gives this idea that God is creating a temple, a temple where heaven and earth overlap, where God's space and human space overlap. And we will live in this temple and God will live in this temple and he will be with us. And after he spent six days creating this place where he will live with his creation, then we get to the seventh day in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, meaning they were filled up. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. And from all his work uh, that he had done, so God blessed the seventh day and made it Holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So it says God rested. Now, again, my brain, in my, the way I like to live my life, I hear the word rest and I'm like, God took a nap. But that's not, that's not what this is. It wasn't like God's like, woo, those were six hard days. I didn't stop for a second. That was a lot of work. It wasn't that, because God doesn't get exhausted the way we get exhausted. The idea of rest means that God took up residence in the thing that he'd made, and he began to just enjoy what he had made. He began to live and exist in this temple with the people. Um, think of it as if you had just spent like a year, nine months, building a house to live in, and you worked really hard making sure it was done right, and it, you, know, you weren't going to get shocked every time you plug something in, you learned some new skills, you put up drywall, like you did it all, and it was a lot of work, and every day you just kept thinking, man, I can't wait till this thing is done, I can't wait till this thing is done, and then there comes the day when all the rooms are painted, the furniture's in, and you hang the last thing on the wall, and then you get to go in, and you sit on your couch, and you go, yeah, this is great, this is my, this is my home now, and you, and you get to enjoy this thing that you've made. That's the picture of God rested that we see here. He entered into this environment to be with his people, and it says God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now, holy is a word that gets a little, can be a little scary if we don't understand it, but it simply means it was set apart. It means the opposite of something that is common. It is something that has been taken for special use. So God took the Sabbath and he made it. He built a day into the rhythm of time so that you and I would have a day to honor and rest in this Sabbath, to enjoy this day. Now, um, as I mentioned earlier, originally for the Israelites, that was Saturday. So Friday night to Saturday evening, that was their Sabbath. Uh, Christians, early, the early church moved it to Sunday because they wanted to commemorate that Jesus rose from the grave on a Sunday, and he started this new era. But we never really get an instruction in the New Testament saying the Sabbath has to be this day or that day. So if Saturday works for you, great. Sunday works for you, awesome. Does Wednesday work for you because you got an odd work schedule or something? Fantastic. It's more important that we take time to honor and have this Sabbath. We're pushing everything else out and giving God room to work in our lives. It's more important to do that than it is what particular day of the week it is. Now, the point, like I said, is that God built this into the rhythm so that we would regularly Sabbath. And in Genesis 2, it says he set it apart, and he made it holy. He made this day holy. Um, when we get into the book of Exodus, into the, uh, the Ten Commandments, when those are given, it's, uh, the wording changes a little bit. The Israelites are commanded to keep it holy. It's like, hey, God set this apart for you. 
Now, keep it set apart. Because even then, they knew that life happens, schedules get busy, and if you don't protect it, life's going to come in and fill up those extra hours that you're trying to set apart. And so that means that in order to practice a Sabbath, what we're going to have to do is something that we are terrible at and that people have never been worse at in our culture. We have to draw a line in the sand for all the external pressures and all the internal pressures. Oh, I should be doing this. I should be doing this. we got to draw a line in the sand and say, no, this is my Sabbath of rest for my God to work in my life. We've got to um, really work at it, though, because a lot of things are going to happen that we don't like. Um, one, people are going to think you're weird. Like People are like, hey, you want to do that? No, I can't do that. I'm, that my family, we, we, uh, we practice the Sabbath. A what? Like, people don't know that word anymore, that you're doing a what? Like, people think you're weird. Coaches will not understand why you don't want your kids to play in this game or come to that practice or have that particular meet. They're going to think you're a lunatic for, for saying, I'm sorry, my kid can't make it that day. And they might even punish your kid because you want to take this time as a family and honor God with the Sabbath. Um, all kinds of, of appointments and obligations are going to have to be pushed away and rescheduled. Or worst of all, you're going to have to just not do some things. We're going to have to say no to some stuff. We're not going to be able to do all the things all the time. What a horrible concept. Um, this is something Abby and I have been, we've tried so hard since we started uh, having kids to not do all the things. And it, I feel so guilty. Isn't like most of the time, I feel so guilty when I people my kid they do this and they do that and they're it's like man I know my kids would have fun doing all those things and I, you know you, you feel that inner pressure and the outer pressure I feel so guilty about some of that stuff but at the same time there's got to be a line in the sand and you got to say no this isn't the way we were meant to live crazy and hectic and never being together and and never setting aside a time to let God work in our lives this isn't the way it was supposed to be. And so even though it is hard work, one thing that we absolutely have to remember is that the Sabbath is not just a rule. I'm not giving you a hoop to jump through. This isn't, okay, you better do this or God's going to be grumpy at you. This isn't one of those kinds of religious things. No, the Sabbath is given to us as a joy, as a gift, as that time for us to rest our souls at the deepest level. I love um, when you go a little further in Exodus to Exodus chapter 31, the wording around holy changes again. It says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. God says, keep this because I've set this apart special for you. It is a gift to enjoy. It is something that is meant to be a blessing to us, not a chore. Now, like anything that's good for you, when you start practicing a Sabbath, and really try to like, okay, I'm pushing everything out. We're going to do this. It's going to be weird. It's like when you start working out, those first couple times, like, you're miserable. Like, you're like, okay, I need something off the top shelf. Like, my arms don't want to, because you're, like, your muscles aren't, you're not used to it. It's going to be difficult at first. You're going to get worse before you get better. That's how these kinds of things work. But it's meant to be a joy, not an inconvenience. It's meant to be a blessing, not a curse. That's why Jesus, in Mark 2, 27, says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Meaning, God didn't say, okay, here's a day off. Now I need to make some people that'll jump through these hoops for me. Like, he didn't make the rules and then make us to keep the rules. No, he made man, and he's like, these people are 
going to run out. Their batteries are limited. They can't handle, they can only handle so much physically, emotionally, spiritually. They need, they're going to need some time to rest and recharge. And so God created the Sabbath as a gift for you and for me. Now, aside from this word holy being set apart, the other word that's most commonly associated with Sabbath is rest. It's meant to be rest. Now, again, some of you, you're uncomfortable with the idea of stopping, which the way the word Shabbat in Hebrew um, at its most literal, it means to stop, to stop from work, to stop doing things. And some of you, you just hate that. I don't know. There's just a sensation in you, and, and um, I love stopping. That's like I said, I, closing my eyes, that's like my dream for a moment. But, um, um, but this is a gift of rest, and more than just bodily rest, rest for the deepest parts of who we are, spending a day that we are very aware of God's work in our life. Now, there's several ways that this rest will benefit us, ways that we get rest. And I wanted to talk about all of them, but I couldn't. So I'm going to squeeze in two, but there's more ways that we rest. Um, One way that we rest on the Sabbath is we rest in God's providence, right? We have this fear that we're not going to have enough, that I've got got to get this done. you got that to-do list. you got the chores. If I don't get it done, it's going to pile up, and then I don't have it. And your brain kind of runs away in anxiety and worry of what if I stop? What if I don't get it all done? Um, We take jobs that, like I said, steal our time. We send our boss emails on the weekend because we're afraid of losing that job. We do all the things. We let everything encroach on us and say yes because we're afraid of what's going to happen if we don't. Maybe there won't be enough. Maybe we'll miss out. But doing nothing on the Sabbath, breaking from your traditional days of the week and pushing things out means that you are resting in the reality that God is going to take care of you. You don't have to work. You don't have to do all the things. You don't have to worry about what people think about you or say about you because you're a weirdo who made your kids get practice. They're not going to get into the NBA if you, don't make, if you make them skip that practice. You know, your short, skinny little white kid might not get into the NBA. Oh, who the... What a shocking development for a Midwestern kid, right? I mean, so they might not if you make them, and people are going to think bad things about you, but you push all that out and you say, no, God's taking care of all this stuff. All these details, all these things I'm worried about. No, God is taking care of me because we live with this lie that the only way good is going to come into your life is if you do something about it. The only way I'm going to have any good in my life is if I get, hurry up and do things and bring good into my life. But that is a lie. Scripture teaches us that God takes care of us. He takes care of the things that we worry about that we have no control over. He is working for your good and my good and his glory. And so we need to remind ourselves that life does not rest entirely in our tiny little human hands. And when you rest, you are resting saying, no, God is bigger than me. God is in charge, not me. I am resting in his ability to provide and take care of me. And so the Sabbath commands us to confront the lie that the only way we're going to get good in our life is if we do all the things. And that is absolutely not true. And I can't think of anything we need to confront more in our day and age than that lie. Another one, another thing that we get to rest in on our Sabbath is we rest in our God-given identity. This is a little harder to explain, but do you know how many people spend every day worrying if they matter? And they might not phrase it that way, but, but everybody wants to know that they have value and they have worth. And so many of us are so scared of feeling worthless, of, of, of not being as talented as everybody else, not being as beautiful as everybody else, not being as skilled or as lovable as everybody else, that what so many of us spend our time doing is we live our lives with this goal of, if I accomplish this, that'll prove to everybody that I matter. That'll prove to me 
that I matter. If I can just do enough, then I'll prove to everybody that I'm good enough. And so many people strive after this uh, feeling of trying to prove that they are worth or valued. And so we try to prove ourselves by being successful at our jobs. If we can climb all the way to the top of that ladder or be in the top whatever percent of, of people in my industry, then yeah, then I'll show everybody I'm the best. Then I'll say, look, look everybody, I deserve to be here. Um, guys are super prone to this, even though you won't find a lot of guys, especially in our area because we're all so tough, uh, <clears throat> whining about whether or not we matter or not, right? But when a guy gets fired from his job, this lie, you'll find how deeply set it was in his heart because a guy, to a guy losing his job, it's not just a temporary setback. It's an utter failure. It means you failed. You can't provide. You can't do enough. What is wrong with you? And there's a lot of people who take that hit and they walk home feeling as if the value has been sucked out of their life. And it's not a temporary setback. It's definitive proof that they're worthless. Some of us, we bend over backwards trying to be a certain kind of parents, to raise certain kind of kids, because that'll show everybody that we did good, I didn't fail, I raised nice little humans who can do certain things, right? Um, Some of us, we try to prove, um, or try to be accepted by people that we think are accepted, or successful, because if we can get in with that people that we think are accepted and loved, then that proves that we must also be accepted and loved. And we spend our lives just chasing all of these things that we think are going to make us and prove us to be valuable. And so what's really gotten scary nowadays, and we're not, we haven't even seen it play out, but I think it's a little bit of behind why you see all these um, news headlines of, of suicides, especially with younger people, is we have, we're raising a generation where they have, a, they have numbers, real numbers, to tangibly measure their worth. And it's the likes and the comments and all the, and the praises that they get on social posts. And they can look at that, those numbers and say, I'm not as good as this person. I posted something and like three people commented on it. They posted something and like 100 people commented on it. They got 100 people's worth of love and I only got three people's worth of love. And they can measure this stuff and feel dejected and defeated and, and over attacked by negative comments that get fed into social media. It is an absolute tragedy. And so... We spend our whole lives exhausting ourselves, running ourselves dry to prove that we matter, just wanting to feel confident in who we are and valued and loved. And for all the things that we think will give us value, if we accomplish one of those things, that'll prove it. But you know what? The people who've accomplished those things have found out that didn't cut it. I want to say it was Jim Carrey who said, I wish everybody could um, make all the money they ever wanted and achieve every one of their dreams so that they'd learn that that's not enough. Because... For all of us people on the other side of that race, you know, we just think it's going to, look at that, that, it's a carrot, it's a beautiful golden carrot that if we get there, that'll take care of all the problems, but it absolutely doesn't. This idea that you aren't valuable unless you earn something or prove it in some way is a lie. It's a lie that we are told every day when you see a magazine cover that is not a body type that looks like you, or you see a A social media story of these people that are doing these things every day that you don't do and can't do. It's a lie you're told every single day. If you want to be good, if you want to be loved, if you want to be worth praise and attention and glory and and honor and, 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 and all that, you've got to do some things. But that is a lie. Because the truth of Scripture is that God loves you and values your existence. That God wants you here. Whether you succeed at work or not, 
Uh, whether you're a certain kind of parent or not, whether your life turns out a certain way or not, whether certain people accept you or not, whether you have a million online followers or a handful, God loves you and you have value. Part of what we stop doing on the Sabbath is we stop trying to earn and achieve stuff into our life and we just sit with who we are and let God tell us that we are enough, that he loves us and we are valued and we sit and we are shaped by that truth that you are loved. And that our world and all of its messaging to try harder, do better is more of a lie. I mean, your very existence in this world proves that God loves you because he thought the world needed a you. I mean, it's, it's Psalm says, you knit me together in my mother's room. He knew who you would be and knew every day before it was written. He wanted you here. That is the truth that far too few of us let influence our lives. Now, there are way more ways I think the Sabbath can provide us rest then we have to go into. I hope to put some of them on uh, Facebook uh, this week and maybe Instagram um, to help us just kind of attack some of these lies and rest in the truth of God and be shaped by the power of the Spirit. But we hope to, through Sabbath, taking a Sabbath, to find regular rest and lasting ways that we can learn God's truth and combat some of the lies that exist to shape us. And because there are a lot of reasons that you're thinking, though, well, I can't do that. I started with this one on purpose because I thought it might be the one that I fought the, the most pushback against. You won't tell me that, but part of you, you're like, I'm not going to be able to do that. That sounds great. So awesome if I wish I could, but can't. There's one more spiritual practice that I think might get more pushback than this one, and I'm not going to tell you that because I, I actually want people to show up for church on that week, um, so I'm not going to tell you when that one's coming. Um, but, but these lies, they do. They take up residence in your heart, and, and God gave us this time as a gift, and culture... It, we, we can say it's taken it away, but culture never had to give us that. Christians throughout centuries didn't have that. People followed God throughout centuries. They didn't have a world that catered to their, uh, to their spiritual schedule. That's not how this is. It's something that we have to take responsibility for. And so I, I do want to give you just a challenge every week of this, a little challenge to try to do something with this and bring these practices into your life a little bit more. And so the Sabbath challenge is to make some time to Sabbath. And you said, I'm already sitting here thinking of all the reasons why I can't. I've already, I've already come up with 20 reasons why this sounds great and it's not. Right? I, okay. Even if you can't block a day, block a portion of it. Start somewhere. Start, say, I'm gonna, okay, on Friday I'm going to get everything done before noon and then from noon to bedtime that's Sabbath time. What, I'm, squeeze something into your day. Work towards it. Just because you think 24 hours is impossible, don't just give up on the idea of a Sabbath. It was an el elemental part of the creation story that God built into human life. We were meant to not live a life of exhaustion and insecurity and hurry. We were meant to have a time to rest in his goodness, to enjoy his light burden. So find some amount of time. That's my challenge to you. Spend a little bit of time thinking about it. By the way, you, this is one of those things you have to prepare for. Like when we talk about prayer next week, I would, I mean, yes, it's helpful to prepare for prayer. Well, that's hard to say. Prepare for prayer. Um, but, but you could be in a long line at the grocery store and be like, you know what? I can pray here. You don't have to prepare. Sabbath, you're going to have to prep a little bit. You're going to have to think, what things do I need to get done in advance so this time can be protected? So start thinking about it today, trying to squeeze some amount of time. And then um, this week on, on social stuff, I'm going to put in some tips and tricks of things you can do on the Sabbath to help it feel a little bit more reverential and 
time for God rather than just like, well, we're here. Anthony said to take a day. What are we going to do now? Like, we don't want it to just be, uh, we'll get some, I'll put some more into it. By the way, when you're trying to tackle one, something this big on one sermon, I have the hardest time. I just sit there and I'm like, I want to say so many things, but people want lunch, so I can't. So that's what it is. But the idea here, though, find some time, please. You need it. It's for you. It's not something, I have to do this for God or he won't be mad at me. Remember, it's a gift gift to you and to me, and by committing to regularly Sabbath, we are giving ourselves to be more and more shaped to be like Jesus. We are giving the Holy Spirit and God's truth more room to form us into the kind of humans that God made us to be. Let's pray. Father, help us to find rest, Um, whether it's a Sunday, a Friday, a Saturday, whatever day we can find it. I pray that you would help us to be a people who can claw back some time for you, time to be in your presence where you could live with us and and a moment in our lives when uh, your kingdom can take full force in our day and we can sit and think about who you've made us to be, be the kind of people we can rest our bodies and our souls, be shaped by your truth rather than lies. And I thank you for um, the beautiful words that Jesus gave us when he just reminded us that it's, you you made the Sabbath for us, not the other way around. You made it as a gift. And I pray that we would treat it that way and, and honor it as precious and that we would keep it to be a thing that is holy in our, in, in our lives as you have set it apart to be this beautiful encounter that we get to have with you. And so, Father, help us to um, honor and glorify you with our time and uh, work to start taking a Sabbath. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.